Hi, William Sheriff. I'm the executive chairman of Encore Energy Corp. Uh, we are dedicated to in situ uh, production of uranium from uh, uh, sandstone uranium deposits in the United States. 100% focused on domestic uh, energy market. Uh, Bill, have, great to have you back on the show, and it's uh, great for me to be speaking to you. It's been, it's been a while. Um, right, I've got, I've got to start with this. You you have been, in the past couple of years, on the acquisition trail, made some acquisitions. Now, rumor has it that you've written down the value of Alta Mesa, $120 million bucks. You you paid for that thing. Have you done that? No, no, I uh I'm afraid that's people that don't understand accounting, and, and I'm not an accountant, so I won't get into details. Our, our CFO can certainly do it, but essentially, when we bought Alta Mesa, it's not a single uh, well field. It's not a single building. It's it's not. Uh, it comes with many things, 200,000 acres of mineral lease and, and mineral rights. It comes with uh, plant and equipment. It comes with uh, buildings, infrastructure, uh, mineral resources, uh, all, uh, inventory, all sorts of things, and that, so the 120 million uh, basically has to be spread out and allocated to, to various aspects of that, as opposed to a lump sum, as I understand it. Here again, uh, with the with the uh, key key point of uh, I'm not an accountant, but uh, I'm sure our CFO would be glad to entertain those questions in detail. But uh, no truth to the rumor. Okay, I appreciate addressing that. Okay, let, let, let's let's talk about um, well. <laughs> The market has been fairly static, and you know, spot, spot price has been doing its thing. We've been, seen lots of companies sort of announcing uh, term contracts, N- not particularly um, you know significant amounts yet, but um, the conversations are happening, trying to excite the market. The market said, "We don't care." What does a company like you have to do to get noticed? You're a U.S. company, which is you know right there on the back at the back door of um, one of the hungriest. Um, countries in the world with, and it, the US does not produce a lot of uranium. So how do you make yourself appealing in that environment? No, in fact, that's the main reason we're here. You know, the demand uh, a year or two ago is 47 million pounds against uh, roughly 100,000 produced from secondary means. So essentially we produce zero at the moment. Uh, we have uh, installed and licensed capacity in the country from all of the different companies of about half of that. So uh, there's going to be a problem, and that's why we see it as the biggest environment. Uh, what we need to do is uh, execute, quite frankly. You know, we've come in and we now own uh, 30% of the production facilities in the U.S. Um, you know, we really aren't a miner. We're, we're a uranium producer. We're much more akin to oil and gas. We do everything through pipes and plumbing and pumps. And, uh, you know, we, we don't uh, really mine, so we don't view ourselves as that. And, and that's a, a real benefit in the U.S., quite frankly, because the investment community is a lot more open to oil and gas and alternative energy than they are, per se, mining. Uh, but uh, if you look at uh, our, our staff group and everything else, we, we look like a petroleum company with field engine, reservoir engineers, so, and the, the same complement of people you would have in, in that sort of industry. So, uh, But I think really the key is quite simple, execute. We've, we've announced production plans. You know, the first in the industry to really come out with solid uh, production schedules. And uh, not just one plant, but two. We're very blessed to have all three of our plants within about a 70-mile radius of of where our operating headquarters are, and that's in Corpus Christi. So we get uh, a lot of efficiencies of having everything in a very small area as opposed to trying to do multiple operations in multiple states or even countries or even continents. So it's uh, 
it's a difficult task, uh, even with everything in, in a small area, but it's certainly one that uh, we're up to and have the staff and, and people to, to deliver on that. Right. So is this a case of being like the, 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 the best best of the the rest? Because you've got the, the big producers like the Kazakhs, and I do want to talk to you about some of the shenanigans going on over there at the moment. Obviously, Cameco, you know, up, up the road from you, you guys. It's a small sector with not that many, well, so a lot of wannabe players and a lot of and only a few people who potentially can get there, I get into production. So your, I guess, big driver here is not about just getting into production, executing just to get into production. You've got to do that at scale. You've got to do that economically, and you've got to be able to do that soon. So that's why I'm trying to say, what well, what is this thing that you're building? So talking about executing is great, but executing what? Well, I mean, we've got a, a path to... Uh meet our goal. And our goal is to be producing at a 3 million pound a year run rate, uh, you know, sometime in, in three years or so, and then ultimately five and beyond. Uh, you know, we've, as you pointed out, been quite active in the M&A space. Uh, we, we still look to that. Uh, there's still a few opportunities out there. Uh, and um, obviously, it's, uh, it's a very hectic time, uh, taking them from the drawing board to reality. But to here again, it's the experienced personnel on board that have done it. Uh, you bypass so much of the uh, time delay in new production when you uh, buy mature assets and uh, uh, develop those. Most of them have been uh, built uh, to modern standards. Uh, some have been sitting idle. Well, most of them have been sitting idle for a number of years, so you've got to refurbish the plants. But here, again, a fraction of the cost of, uh, of building one, a uh, very small fraction of the cost of building one. And, and you do away with the uh, you know, multiple years, three to, to 10 years or more in permitting. And everyone doesn't realize what permitting costs, but you know it's several million dollars a year in terms of your staff and your permitting effort. If you're dealing with the NRC, you actually pay the NRC, that being the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, you actually pay them for their time. It uh, may be the only government agency in the U.S. that's self-funding, but uh, you know it's uh, it's one that you you pay for the pleasure of them uh, regulating you, and uh, so it's quite costly. And by bypassing all of that and jumping into built facilities. Uh, existing resources with a quality team, it uh, it really enables us to unlock that strategy. You want to see the fisheries department. Um, right. The, the, so just sticking on the, the kind of, the kind of co- these, these kind of pillars of how you build a company out, because ultimately it's about obviously clearly making money, um, not just for your shareholders, but for the company actually making money to give you options further down the line. So just sticking with the kind of the scale bit of that conversation, Yes, you've made some acquisitions, and yes, you've you've talked about some numbers three, maybe up up to five. But given the demand the demand in the U.S. for what you produce to feed into this kind of growing and burgeoning nuclear sector, um, what else can you do? Can you step outside of the because you're ISR ISR guys that makes you a bit more akin to oil and gas? I get it, um, but can you do more in a more M&A, when would you be able to do that? Is the market ready for that yet? I think it's all a matter of opportunity, you know, and, and the flesh being willing, it takes two parties to uh, consummate a deal. Um, and, you know, it, all things are relative, so uh, it's not necessarily a booming time in stock prices, but everyone's prices tend to boom at the same time. Uh, we have seen a bit of uh, separating the, the wheat from the chaff, if you will, the, produce, the likely near-term producers have fared better this this year, relatively speaking, uh, hadn't been a banner year by any means, but relatively speaking, than than uh, some of the explorers, at least in the U.S. Uh, arena. Uh, but I think you know the the key really is uh, two parties coming to an agreement, and and then if you do, you can find a way to make it make sense economically. It's just a matter of 
you know, finding people that are aligned, uh, that have aligned interest, and then you work around. Right now, valuations tend to all be relatively up or relatively down. So it's it's going to be unusual that you have a very high-priced currency with which to, uh, you know, enforce your will, if you will. So. Right. But you know what I'm getting at, Bill, because like, we've seen a couple of companies in the shape of Dennis and in the shape of UEC, you know, in the past, let's say, two years, make acquisition a priority for themselves. And, and it's kind of worked in terms of market cap and, you know, at various points, share price, too. And, you know, it's it's given them scale. Now, they're, you know, predominantly, I guess, hard, hard rock kind of guys. Um but it's given them status and it's given them the ability to raise cheap capital to go and do acquisition. Whether or not, when some of their projects will get into production is another conversation and a debate for another another time. But what do you see as the kind of catalysts for growth? Because I, I, I get the, the, you know, that we need two parties to agree and it's, it, that's always been thus, whatever the sector. But But for you, how do you drive the growth here? Are you focused on actually delivering with what you've got and just, I guess, accretive growth rather than exponential. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're quite happy with uh, organic growth in, inside. We can see those numbers based on our current uh, portfolio, our current holdings. Uh, you know, we uh, talk about delivering. The first del- delivery will be getting into production this year in 23. Uh, that's what we said we would do, uh, the last half of 23, and uh, generating some revenue, albeit small in 23. There will be some revenue generated. And then, uh, you know, right on the heels of that, uh, you know, a quarter or two later, first quarter of uh, 04, uh, we'll be, uh, you know, flipping the switch at Alta Mesa. In fact, uh, you know, we've, we've already got drilling underway and that sort of thing. It's been uh, a lot of, uh, oh, at least uh, social media uh, coverage in terms of, of what we've been doing out there. And, uh, you know, we're, we're very aggressive. We've got, I think, 60-some employees at the current time. A number of rigs operating and uh, just making a great headway. Okay. And again, what I'm trying to do is, is kind of paint a picture for people perhaps need to uranium and, and trying to work out who's here at the zoo uh, and also, you know, get comfortable with, um, you know, their investment philosophy needs to match the kind of company that they could they could be looking at here. So that's why I'm kind of taking, taking this out a little bit more, which is you've got a lot of companies have been doing a lot of talking over the last three, four years about, you know, how quickly they're getting into production and what price they need price incentive they need to get into production. And that timeline gets pushed further and further out. I think more recently they've been you know been able to blame COVID, supply chain issues, inflationary issues, et cetera. But you know, they've gone a little bit quiet. So um I'm I would love to dig, you know, speak to them and, and, and talk to them about, you know, how you actually move that advance that company forward. Was it ever likely at the rates they previously suggested that they would get into production? economic production you're saying your focus is we've got two assets we can get into production and we're going to focus on that for now and and you know like old-fashioned business we're here to make money um and then look at an um additional m a at some future point but we're not discounting it so there is ambition i guess is what i'm asking you i guess i would i would equate our operation more to a symphony orchestra there's a lot of instruments being played um and you know the the Key is is that yeah we keep an eye on M and A, but it doesn't detract our group that's putting the the actual assets into production and driving towards that. It's not the same people; it's separate people. Uh, and uh, I, I tend to do at least the initial screening on M and A, and then of course Paul Gornson, our CEO, is intimately involved with it, but he's also intimately involved with uh, uh, you know overseeing the COO and getting the operations actually up and running. Having you know built the last few plants that have been in operation in the U.S. We've got 
more than our fair share of technical expertise, uh, which allows us to do this and, and advance on multiple fronts. You know, we're also uh, working actively uh, in South Dakota to, to deal with the permitting issues there. We're also uh, establishing and initiating the permitting uh, at the beginning of this year in Wyoming for our project there. So we're, as well as doing, uh, you know, uh, amendments to some of the licenses in Texas to incorporate some uh, satellite uh, well fields into the existing uh, production centers. And uh, we've actually started looking at, uh, you know, possibly, um, you know, increasing the production status at Rosita in terms of its capacity. Uh, one of the unique things in Texas, of course, is that we're able to increase our capacity simply by the addition of equipment. And uh, not that that's a simple or cheap method, but it's a whole lot uh, cheaper than going through several years of permitting to amend your permit to, to increase it. Um, so depending on how our acquisitions go uh, and how our ability to pick up deposits in Texas go or, or promising lands, uh, yeah, that'll dictate the, the rate of increase at Rosita. But here again, we're quite happy with executing on what we have, you know, playing the hand we've got. At the same time, we keep our eyes open to you know, increase our lot in life at any time. Also, at the same time, we've got a whole bunch of non-core assets, probably, I don't know, 40 or 50 of them. They don't show up in the website. They don't show up in the uh, slide deck just because they aren't material. Uh, but they are of material value to others. And uh, so that's uh, you know part of what we do as well. And I think do pretty well is rationalize uh, you know, on some of those assets. I think we'll be on a clip of uh, gaining you know several million dollars a year uh, by virtue of doing that. Significant equity stakes in other companies by virtue of doing that. All of which strengthens the balance sheet. So, but do you, th- do you think the market's looking for this now in terms of like you know fund- fundamentals? Because there has been a lot of momentum play in, in this space for the last three years. You know, leverage was all was part of, part of the game, and you know there was money available at certain points. Um, you know, cheaper money was available at certain points. This kind of fundamental strategy for you guys does it also mean that? You know, you're, you you feel you're expected to be a North American focused North American producer. Or can you look for, further afield? I mean, we'll I'd love to talk about some geopolitics in a second, but uh, you know, in terms of, again that ambition from you and ISR, where, where, where do you go? I mean, we can, but we aren't going to. Uh, not in the foreseeable future. Um, we see a lot of growth potential in the U.S. Um, you know, I would dare say we aren't done. I can't tell you when we'll be done. Uh, but uh, yeah, you reach certain sizes, and you're going to either become you're either going to become acquirers or, or the acquired, and uh, or, or you're going to amalgamate with someone. Uh, and you know you can't uh, can't be in that middle ground of market cap with uh, revenue coming in and uh, that sort of thing, and and uh, stay the size that several of the entities are in this business. So you're going to see uh, future business combinations, and it may well be a year or two down the road, uh, or it may be next week. I, I really can't tell you what others are thinking. But, uh, you know, it's it's when it's opportune and when the, the winds are aligned and uh, you, you see mutual benefit in it. But it's going to happen. It has to happen. There's uh, simply, uh, you know, not, not much future. You know, and it will. It will, and always does. So let me let me talk about the next stage here. So I don't have, I don't have much of your 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 time here. Which is look on the the, the next kind of pillar, as it were, which is um, which has got to be about you know the economics of this thing. And you know, clearly, ISR is one of the che- cheaper forms of of uh, mining uh, for you guys. So you're you're going to be at that sort of lower end of the of the cost base. But you're also looking, and I noticed recently this this acquisition of um, the PFN technology. To 
make make your mining more effective in terms of you know being able to find this stuff well quicker uh, and more efficiently. So tell us about why you felt need to acquire because it's not a new technology, is it? No, no, it's been around for quite a while. In fact, we per, uh, yeah. purchased it from uh, uh, you know another company in the business, uh, Energy Fuels. But the the key is is that it's a proprietary technology. And uh, I guess the basis of it is understanding it. Uh, typically, uranium exploration is done through gamma log reading, and you uh, drop a, a detection device down the hole, and you measure the amount of gamma that's coming out. And uh, it gives you a, a good insight as to either where uranium has been or where it is. And what I mean by where it's been is it goes through decay processes where the radioactivity comes from, and you end up with daughter products. Those daughter products are not nearly as mobile as uranium, so you can actually have the uranium move on as a roll front is generally dynamic uh, moving force, uh, although generally on a very small scale, but sometimes quite quickly. So you don't really know what the uranium is, and oftentimes you'll have to core it to find out your exact grade and wait on the chemical assays, much as you do for gold, copper, or anything else. And uh, the ability to drop a probe down that actually directly detects the uranium, this actually emits uh, fast neutrons. It activates and excites the uranium and nothing else. So you get a direct response that you can scale as to the exact quantity of uranium without having to core it, without having to go through the time delay of getting a chemical assay. So not only are you saving those uh, costs of coring, because it's obviously a lot cheaper than coring, especially large diameter core, uh, and, and the assaying, but the time involved there. And, and more importantly, you're not drilling uh, nearly as many uh, bad holes or duster holes because these are relatively narrow roll fronts that we're drilling in this business in the U.S. And uh, if you don't have real-time analysis and your drill rigs out there, you're going to drill some holes that, quote, look good and have good camera kicks, uh, but uh, they may or may not have good uranium. And uh, so you, you cut down on your uh, uh, drilling, uh, you can find it to, uh, you have a much better hit percentage, put it that way with your drilling when you have this real-time availability. Okay, okay. And that's, so that's from, uh, you bought that 3.1 million off from Energy Fuels. They have what, 20, 20 years to continue to use that that, that uh, technology and, and, and hardware. Okay. Um, the, okay so so just, just on that kind of like the, the economics side of things, you've been r- raising money in the market. You went back in, back in December, 70 million bucks, another... 34 and a half, uh, beginning of February. Obviously, you've had the acquisition of Alta Mesa, et cetera. Um, how, how are you for cash right now? We're, we're uh, good. We're, we're tight to get to production. Uh, we don't have any extra, yeah. put it that way. Uh, but, but it's still uh, on time, on budget. Certainly no, certainly no excess. The, you know, no, no large company retreats or anything along those lines uh, this year. Uh, no uh, you know, extra opportune acquisitions, uh, you know, on the small scale. Uh, typically, I pick up a number of projects that we throw in the non-core uh, portfolio, and, you know, those have been delayed, but we are on track to uh, to meet our goal of production. Okay, fine. So, hopefully, no no dilutive raising um, through to production. The production itself is going to be a, a ramp up. Um, do you have any other, so the, 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 right there for the revenue is going to be a sort of ramp up. Yeah, um, do you have any other, in terms of your balance sheet at the moment, do you have any other kind of constraints on that? Or, or, or? Well, I think the biggest constraint is the time delay you talk about in the ramp up. And, you know, we're aware of that. We're also aware of the, you know, the reality of the situation is while everything's going smoothly right now, there's almost always some sort of hiccup, be it, uh, you know, a, a single widget's uh, time delayed or, you know, the electrician's a couple of weeks late or, uh, you know, there, there's uh, all sorts of things. Like at Rosita, our well field's in. The plant's operational. 
we're putting the IX columns in. Um, yeah, but there's still, you know, plumbing and electrical and things that need to be done. Um, so, you know, you can't control all of those things. And I've been in the mining business, or in, in our case, we aren't a miner again, just just as a reminder, we're uh, pumps and, and uh, fluids, a lot more akin to oil and gas. But I've seen very few projects, if any, go through without a little hiccup here or there. And I'd love to be the first, uh, but if we don't, then, you know, there are obviously a number of means to, to bridge that gap. Uh, if there is one, it'll be uh, very, very small. So, yeah. Nelson. No, no, I hear you. I always say my, my, mining's tough. There's always bumps along the road. It's just how the companies, you know, ha handle those uh, and the general trajectory is up. All, all good. Now, talk about learnings, right? Um, I'm intrigued. We, again, we've got a big, big new audience of, of people new, new to um, uranium. I'm always keen to educate them or help educate them. Um, I think most of them will kind of point back and, and, and they're being told this is just like before 2010, 2011, when, you know, before pre, pre Fukushima, the, that kind of exponential kind of growth period, lots of new companies coming into the space. Price was driven up. Do you, do you think that's true? Is, is this kind of like, you know, pre-Fukushima times. Are, are there lessons to be learned from that? Well, I think there are lessons to be learned from it, but uh, aside from the commodity, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to dissent from the audience, uh, or, or at least from the peer group, um, somewhat considerably, in that uh, we don't see uh, the, the system to set up a dynamic uh, you know, moonshot, as I've seen on some of the uh, references. We see a very good growth market that's developed uh, for the future. We see uh, a real solid uh, outperforming growth in the nuclear sector, both from conventional as well as the additional small modular reactors. And uh, that's you know what we're basing it on and, and even more focused on the U.S. where the, where the deficit between supply and demand is the biggest. It's a completely different set of factors, you know, and, and I'll just highlight a few of them. In the 04 to 08 period where you saw that, you know, huge move from, from you know, teens to, to 140, um, you know, over a very short period of time. You know, we were saying they were involved with it, uh, building energy metals at the time. Uh, Paul Gornson was busy with uh, Mustania actually setting those spot prices through auctioning off small lots of uranium. But if you go back, that whole scenario set up in 2003 uh, with the flood at MacArthur River. And uh, that was the uh, you know, biggest mine, highest grade. That got people's attention. And uh, then you had three floods at Cigar Lake. It's commonly referenced there were two, but there were actually three, which was supposed to be the answer to all the supply problems as a new mine coming on. Uh, and then in 2007, Ranger flooded in, uh, in Australia due to uh, cyclones. And uh, basically a pit filled up and made a giant swimming pool. All of these things are, are fixable, but they all happened at the same time. So we had a, a perfect storm, if you will, of supply interruptions. Add to that uh, Rossing, the big mine in Namibia. RTZ was running in, and at the time they said it had reached its uh, mined out stage and they'd be closing it down in 2007. Well, since it's still running now and they've just extended the forecast, obviously that was short-sighted and incorrect. But nonetheless, that was the uh, prevailing attitude at the time, and they were suffering a major health uh, crisis with their workers. So their production was down and the mine was going to close. So really a perfect storm of supply, uh, some contracts uh, going into force majeure. Uh, you know, it's hard to tell exactly what percentage of that uh, spike in price was uh, actually nuclear utility buyers in the spot market. Certainly some, as they were worried about their near-term contracts being in force majeure. Uh, but, you know, here again, the hedge funds and the financial players smelled blood in the water and jumped right in. And, uh, you know, I, I think probably a good guess as any is maybe 70 or $80 was done by the utilities. And the last 40 to 60 of it was done uh, uh, somewhere in that vicinity by, by the financial players. 
uh, you know, as, as, as with any of those perfect storms, those situations abate, return to a situation normal. And I'll point out a huge factor. At the time, we still had significant headwinds from uh, the press and from public opinion towards nuclear. Uh, we were not a popular industry. And then, uh, of course, uh, Fukushima put the death nail in it for a decade, decade of darkness, uh, as I call it. Gave us a lot of time to, uh, we were, we were started this company right before that. So we were fortunate enough to fund ourselves to, to survive it and had 10 years to plan our future. Uh, but uh, you, you compare and contrast that to the, the media now. Uh, a little over a year ago, there was uh, an issue with that you may recall that was on uh, some of the press for about 30 seconds about uh, fuel rods uh, deteriorating in Chinese reactors. Uh, and it got no traction at all. Uh, the simple fact was the EDF had to come in and shut it down and uh, you know deal with the fuel rod issue. But it was a normal maintenance thing, whereas 10 years earlier or five years earlier, the press would have made it a, uh, you know, into a Jane Fonda sequel. And uh, we would, we would have had a real, real uh, nightmare scenario. And even recently in the U.S., we've had a, a plant in Minnesota with a tritium leak uh, that uh, they did not shut down initially, made a little paragraph blurb in some of the news, and uh, they thought they'd fixed it, and then it reoccurred. Uh, and here again, virtually nothing mentioned in the press. They had to shut it down to, to get in and fix it. Here again, these are routine interruptions, but the press would have treated those as if you know the world were coming to an end back uh, 10 years ago or five years ago even. So the the press is ignoring the minor issues when they're minor, and most of them are. You know, they've certainly overinflated some of the potential crises uh, of the, you know, Europe's biggest plant uh, in, in the Ukraine. I don't think either side there really wants to see another a nuclear disaster, seeing as how both sides were the ones that suffered from, you know, the, really the biggest disaster ever in Chernobyl. So, and even that the press had a little bit of fun with for a few days, but they, uh, you know, that, that blew over as well. And I, I think that's the biggest sign of, of really the, you know, the sea change in terms of how people view the nuclear industry. And, you know, it's, I often say it's not the perfect solution, but it's the best one we've got. And, you know, fusion is probably 30 years off uh, from, from becoming real, you know, a realistic alternative. And, you know, I'd point out that 1970 or 80, it was 30 years off from being realistic and commercial. And in 30 years, it may well still be 30 years. It seems to always be 30 years from realization. Uh, so I feel quite confident for the next few decades that uh, what we've got is simply a resumption of the pre-three-mile island growth curve for nuclear power. In essence, take the 44 years since then and throw it out the window, and we're picking up where we left off. Unfortunately, during that hiatus, we lost an awful lot of talent that has not been uh, replaced, uh, a lot of ground lost. Uh, last real exploration boom was in the 80s, and uh, in, in the U.S. in particular. And uh, so we're we're starting from behind, but it does give us an awful lot of fertile ground in this industry. We have we have lost a lot of talents, bizarrely from places all around the world, like South Africa had, had a burgeoning um, nuclear industry, and now they're they've um, found themselves supplying arms to uh, Russia instead, allegedly. Um, look, I jest. Um, what I want to talk to you about, they, they want to stick on that point with regards to okay, if it wasn't like. If you don't say it's not quite like you know, um, you know, two thousand four, two thousand eight. Are there other aspects of it where there perhaps are similarities? Because again, we we saw a lot of chat about a year ago. We, well, we're heading for, you know, two hundred dollar um, 
uranium. Um, that hasn't materialized, clearly hasn't materialized. Um, but we did see, and, and, and it was off the back of conversations with parallels to, you know, 2004, 2008, or 2010, quite frankly, where, you know, uranium got to 140. It, it, got, it shot up there. People were expecting the, it all to behave the same way. So for the reasons that you've just outlined, you don't, you don't think there will be price appreciation like that anytime soon? Or do you think there are other factors which may drive that, like it moving towards a supplier's market? You know, black swan events are hard to see coming, right? Um, but at the same time, the, you know, the only one that's somewhat predictable that I see out there is uh, the Ukrainian situation. You know whether uh, whether Biden cuts the West, or uh, Biden, whether uh, Putin cuts off the West or or uh, vice versa, that would have an impact, uh, and I think it'd be uh, significant. But I don't think it's going to take it anywhere near a hundred dollars. Um, for one thing, we've been talking about it for a year. Um, you know, and now we've got through uh, one of the subcommittees in the House in the U.S. just uh, uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, or the day before. Uh, so now it goes to the full committee on uh, a ban for uh, Russian uranium. However, it has a few asterisks in it. And there are always exceptions and always a timeline to these things. And uh, don't forget the nuclear uh, utilities have uh, a lot to, a, a lot bigger lobbying budget than the uh, uranium business does. Uh, they're, they're... But, but, don't, but don't you think, don't think Putin's kind of foreseen this? Like, because the Europe tried, was having those conversations two months ago. And, um, you know, what, what seems to have happened in recent days is Putin's going to go, oh, you're going to ban our stuff, but you want it for now until you find a solution, but, and, but you're going to ban us. Tell you what, I'll deal with that right now. I'm going to turn east and do a deal with China, which seems to be what's happening. A lot of people apparently, senior management leaving um, the upper echelons of uh, the Kazatomprom, which is obviously the Kazakh uh, operation, nothing to do with Russia, I'm sure. Um, and then Russia obviously doing the same thing um, with, with, with their products. So it's, it clearly signals a bifurcation in the marketplace, clearly signifies that that's coming down the line. What's that going to do? For uranium juniors, do you think? Clearly, obviously, should be a good thing, but does that accelerate um, the that inevitability? I think so, and I think you know I'm one of the, uh, I guess, I won't say long, but one of the few voices out there that think you know, and I don't know what time frame, whether it's five years, ten years, or what have you, but uh, we will see a time at which uh, none of the Kazakh production goes west. Uh, you know, you've, you've started to see some real major events line up over the course of the last year, starting with the uh, summit last October and uh, uh, between Putin Xi and uh, the leader Netvayer of Kazakhstan. I'm sure I mispronounced that. But anyway, the three of them met in Kazakhstan. Now, shortly thereafter, uh, the Chinese and the Kazakhstan basically fell out of the so, uh, Russian sphere of influence and migrated uh, a significant uh, direction towards the Chinese sphere of influence. And then it was only a month or two after that that uh, Cameco came out and uh, announced that uh, future production from Inkai was going to China, not to the West. And uh, I think that was a major foretelling sign that a lot of people didn't pay a lot of attention to. Um, so I think that Kazakhstan's going to become less and less available to the West, and just in general. Now, maybe not this year, maybe not next, but at some point, I think that's the trend. Uh, I think China certainly would like to see that trend, and uh, they're doing what they can now to ensure that. So I, I think that's the case, but you know, getting back to your, you know, how do we deal with the pricing? I think we've just got a very, very strong, compelling growth story, uh, somewhat independent of the general economy. If you have a nuclear reactor, you're going to fuel it. Uh, it's it's pretty simple, and uh, if you look around the world, the new builds are, are considerable. Even taking China out of the picture, the new builds are significant. And then you had China, which is you know, 
an incredible uh, prediction of, of growth. Uh, and it explains why they want all the uranium as well. So uh, I think uh, we're going to have a, a very vibrant, um, you know, stellar period of growth that exceeds any of the uh, current you know, UXC or trade tech forecasts. Yeah. Well, it, it, okay. Well, it, it be, it, like I say, it's, it's interesting times with, with uh, Tok- Tokayev and, and, and Xi Jinping, Jinping uh, meeting up, I think that's driving the kind of, or continuing to drive the kind of geopolitics of, of, of this narrative. You and guys like you in the US need to worry about, you know, your, your own business and how you actually get into production, how you actually drive that uh, revenue and, you know, and how, how you time those, those, those term contracts, et cetera, um, you know, for, to, you know, because I think that's what people would be looking for. Can, like, just can, we, let's go kind of full circle back to my, my my first question here, which was obviously you set the record straight around, you know, any write off on Alta Mesa, okay? But do do you think any the market's been very, let me say, fluid, shall I say? It, it, it's been very, very lots of bumps along the road for everyone. Um, would you have? dealt with or paid for any of your acquisitions differently? Looking back, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Would you have dealt with it differently, negotiated it any differently? And does that kind of advise the way you're going to look forward when you do get to uh, future M&A? Yeah, one of them was a lot more difficult in terms of actually doing than I would prefer. Probably the most difficult one I've done. And I think in my career, I've done 27 or 28 of them, uh, most of which have been a good idea. One or two weren't. Uh, but... Uh, you know, I don't think there are any of the deals we would have done differently. I think we might have put more constraints on on our, you know, terms on on one instance. Uh, but in terms of Alta Mesa, it was. Uh, I, I think we got a bargain. I wouldn't do anything differently. Um, I think it uh, was a great acquisition. I remember we paid 120 million for it, and uh, it had been carried on a number of the brokerage firms as 250, 240 uh, NAV. And when you can get a, a premier asset that's multi-decade in terms of its longevity, which we believe it is. I mean, only 10% of the identified rule fronts have, have been drilled on anything other than fences. So, I mean, our upside is going to be uh, quite considerable there, we think. Uh, and just the existing resources is sufficient for a decade of operation. Uh, plus, uh, you know, a rather large scalable plant uh, in the, the best jurisdiction and the lowest cost jurisdiction in the U.S. I mean, don't forget in Texas, we don't have to bury our, our plumbing. We don't have to insulate our wells. We don't have to ha- have insulated header houses. We don't have to uh, dig holes and bury all of that. We don't have to dig it up when we're done for reclamation. We don't have to fill the ditches in once we're done. So, you know, there's some basic cost differences that uh, favor Texas. And, uh, you know, when we go to Wyoming, South Dakota, we're, we're going to be like everybody else. Uh, we're going to have those uh, cost increases in terms of our base cost of production. You know, we aren't immune from it. It's nothing magic. It's just the weather. Okay. Well, let, let, let's let's say let's see how everything kind of pans out in the world of uranium over the next uh, with the rest of this year. Um, like I say, it coiled like a tight spring as ever. Um, but we 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 hope there's a reaction in the equities market soon for, across the board, but especially uranium. Bill Sheriff, appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you.